Welcome back to the program. Reporting on presidential campaigns has become a kind of quadrennial ritual in which after the election is over, we get to go behind the scenes to understand what made the campaigns tick, what mistakes were made by the loser, and what was done right by the winning team. The really good ones, though, take us behind the scenes of the electorate itself. They examine not just how power passes, but how the nature of the country changes every four years. For presidential votes are different than other kinds of elections. They're a kind of national gut check of the mood, temper, culture, and divisions of the time. They tell us about the candidates, but more importantly, the really good reporting gives us a snapshot of ourselves. That's what Washington Post Chief Correspondent Dan Balls has done in Collision 2012. Dan Balls is Chief Correspondent at the Washington Post and its former national editor, political editor, and White House correspondent, He's the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, The Battle for America 2008, and it is my pleasure to welcome Dan Balls back to this program to talk about Collision 2012, Obama versus Romney, and the future of elections in America. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Jeff, it's great to be with you. Great to have you here. One of the points that you make repeatedly is how dramatically the country and the mood of the electorate really changed from the 2008 election to the 2010 midterms, to what became the 2012 presidential election. Talk a little about that first. Yes, I mean, it's so important, and, and point in your open, that we often, we often focus on little things in campaigns, or this gaffe, or that, you know, that comment, uh, and it's, it's big forces. I've always thought that, you know, that campaigns are a moment in which, as you said, the, the country does do a, a gut check. I called this book Collision 2012 in part because it was a collision between the America that had elected Barack Obama in 2008 and the America that elected Republicans to take control of the House in 2010, uh, a red-blue divide that is now deeply embedded in, in, in our politics. And it was also a collision between the philosophies of those two parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, who had very, very different views about the role of government, about the economy, about social issues. Um, and so, I, you know, that the 2008 campaign had a lot of sense of uplift about it, and obviously a, a moment in history with the election of the first African-American president. Uh, and, and I think some people thought it might bring a new, a new mood to American politics, and in fact that wasn't the case. I thought that for all of the history that the 2008 campaign made, that the 2012 campaign was more significant in what it told us about the state of the country, about the changes the country has gone through, and about kind of where the country may be heading. So uh, I, I just thought that, that, that though this was not uh, an uplifting campaign in the way sometimes the 2008 was, uh, that it was a more important moment in understanding all of us as a people. Not ironically, it was so much the president's slogan in 2008. It was a campaign about hope, not only in terms of the Obama campaign, but in terms of the mood of the country. In 2012, there was really a bitterness, a sourness that was so much a part of the electorate. Well, the interesting thing was that people on both sides saw the stakes of this election as really, really, really enormous. Uh, as I would talk to Republicans out on the campaign trail and say, what, what happens if President Obama wins a second term? To, to many of them, it was cataclysmic. They thought that the country that they loved and had grown up in uh, 
was in, in some ways going to disappear. And if you talk to Democrats, their feeling was if Mitt Romney becomes president um, and the Republicans have more control, that this country is going to go in a terrible direction. So that the, that the, that the passions on both sides were so deep. And as you say, it, it, it brought a, a sourness and a, and, a, and, a, and a sense of anxiety on both sides that, that made this campaign so much different than the, than the 2008 campaign. There's also this sense, and it goes back to 2010, to the midterms, that for so long people would say, you know, they liked the idea of divided government, that somehow divided government slows things down, it's good for the country, that, it, you know, we look historically, divided government has often had a positive impact. It had a very different impact this time. And it speaks to, as you talk about, the changing nature of politics, the depths of, of the divisions that exist. It was very different than looking at divided government in the past. Well, one of the reasons for that, I think, is that, that in past periods when we've had divided government, the two sides were able to work together. I mean, if you think about um, the, the Clinton presidency, um, once the Republicans won the big election in 1994 and took control of the House and Senate, uh, and then once the president uh, was reelected in 1996, the two sides were able to work together. I mean, they worked together. They got a welfare reform bill passed. They balanced the budget. I mean, they did some things together. If you, you know, fast forward to what we saw over the last few years, once the Republicans took control in the in the House in 2010, was paralysis and gridlock and you know, as bad a moment as it was for the president to see those losses in the midterm election in 2010, I think an even lower moment for him was when the whole debt ceiling negotiations collapsed in the summer of 2011 because it said to him, you know, the only way we can resolve this now is by winning the election and winning it convincingly uh, that the idea of working with the Republicans in his estimation was no longer possible. And I think that Republicans felt the same, that the only way that they could do things that were good for the country was to elect a Republican as president uh, who would then give them a freer hand to do the things they wanted to do. So it was, you know, it, it, it was a tough, tough election uh, environment. To what extent is this reflective of kind of the 50-year battle that has gone on in terms of cultural issues and demographic issues and changes that have been taking place in the country, reaching a kind of apex in the 2012 election, a kind of last gasp in some respects? Well, what we've seen over that long period is a sorting out of the political parties. Um, you know, if you go back decades, you would find in the Republican Party conservatives and moderates and even some liberal Republicans. And similarly, in the Democratic Party, you would find, in the old days, southern conservatives and northern liberals. Uh, and so to build coalitions, you often had to build them across party lines. That has changed dramatically. Over the last two decades, what we have seen is that the Republican Party has become more homogenous uh, in its conservatism, and the Democratic Party has become more, moder more homogenous uh, in its liberalism. Um, and as a result of that, the gulf is so much bigger than we had. Uh, cultural issues have ebbed and flowed. There was a time when the cultural issues were working against the Democrats. This was back in the 1970s and the 1980s. We, we, we recall the term Reagan Democrats when Ronald Reagan mm -hmm. was able to attract uh, people who had formerly voted Democratic into the Republican coalition. 
uh, and a lot of that had to do with some of the cultural and social issues of the time. If you look at today, some of those cultural and social issues are working in favor of the Democrats, um, at least in terms of public opinion polling, whether it's on gun safety uh, or whether it's on same-sex marriage, where we've seen a significant shift in public opinion uh, in favor of same-sex marriage. So some of those issues have changed. And and in a sense, it, it was this, this clash between... Uh, different Americas and different perceptions of what America ought to be that we saw play out in 2012. As a result of that, it's interesting to look at Mitt Romney and Barack Obama as the personification of those battles being fought and whether or not they were the right people to conduct, to wage those battles, and and the disconnect between the degree to which they were or were not and the emotions that were being dealt with in the country is so much a part of, of your story and of this election. Yes, it's so, it is. I mean, another, another collision, if you will, in 2012 was the collision between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney, two very, very different men. If you think of the lives that they led before they came together to run against one another in 2012, they're so dramatically different. I mean, the, the, the way they were raised, the households in which they were raised, the places in which they were raised, the, the college experience that they had, and, and their, their perspective on, on politics and political issues. Obviously, Barack Obama's were formed in part as a community organizer. Mitt Romney's were formed uh, as someone working in the private sector and in venture capital. I mean, there's no doubt that they brought a different perspective to things. Um, and and so you know that's that's part of it. I think for Republicans, this was the second consecutive election in which they had a nominee that some of the most conservative members of the party did not think uh, were the best to articulate the conservative philosophy. Neither John McCain nor Mitt Romney, in their estimation, uh, was was full throated in his ability to to describe the Republican conservative philosophy in its best terms. And so they look at, they look at those elections as missed opportunities. And, 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 you know, one of the things we're going to see as we head towards 2016 is a debate within the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. It's best to nominate somebody who, is, uh, who can really articulate the conservative philosophy, or is it best to nominate somebody who can perhaps has demonstrated ability to reach across the lines and win Democratic voters. So that's part of the debate that the Republicans will have to go through as they look to 2016. And you talk about a lot of this even in the 2012 election in this monumental effort that went into trying to get Chris Christie to run. It's, it's, a, it's one of the fascinating, I mean, to me, the fascinating chapters in the book. I, I was doing some work on the candidates who did not run for the nomination in 2012, as a way of saying, had some of these other, you know, Republicans run, Haley Barber or Mitch Daniels, the former governor of Indiana, or Jeb Bush, had they run, Mitt Romney would have had perhaps a, a more difficult time becoming the nominee. Uh, and Christie intrigued me just because he's an intriguing personality and, and politician. I went up to see him in Trenton at the governor's office in the state capitol in the, in the fall of 2012 and just said, walk me through what this experience was like. Uh, you had said from the beginning you didn't want to run, and yet people kept coming at you. And he walked me through this entire story, and he's a, he's a, he's a fascinating storyteller. He tells a, a really interesting story. And so the chapter in the book, which is called Chris Christie's Story, is essentially what happened to Chris Christie as told by Chris Christie. 
there's one wonderful moment in this. It's the summer of 2011. He's been invited to a breakfast in New York by some wealthy uh, contributors. And he gets there, and there's many more people than he expected. Uh, they're all lined up. There's a speakerphone on the table. There's some people who called in and encouraged him to run. The last person to speak is Henry Kissinger, the former Secretary of State, who had urged him earlier to think about running. He said Kissinger got up to the front of the room, and he said, he said it was very brief. He said, I've known X number of presidents over the years. Being president is about two things. It's about courage, and it's about character. He said, Governor, you have both, and your country needs you. And he went and sat down. And Christie Christie said to me, I was almost speechless. He said, uh, you know, as, as we all know, he's never quite speechless. He's, right. <laughs> he's a pretty valuable guy. But he said, he said to this group, you know, I don't think I'm going to change my mind, but I owe it to all of you to think seriously about this, and I will go back and do that. And he did, and he got a lot more encouragement uh, to get into the race. Now, this was after Mitt Romney had formally announced and was you know, already considered the frontrunner, but there were a lot of people who thought Chris Christie would have been a better candidate to go up against President Obama. But in the end, he just decided that this was not the right moment for him. It was too soon. One of the things that, that is so interesting about the Romney campaign, about the way this played out, is that although the underlying issues were dramatic, that as you talk about, that in many ways the story of the way the country had changed was more compelling, the story of the election and the campaigns themselves were less compelling. I mean, you had Romney on the one hand who was not a great campaigner, a data guy who didn't believe in polling, and the Obama campaign on the other hand, which had been about inspiration and hope, running a campaign that was essentially about technology and process. Well, you know, campaigns do what they think they have to do to win. And uh, the Obama campaign knew that they could not rerun 2008. Uh, uh, when when Jim Messina sat down, he was the campaign manager, when, when Jim Messina sat down with President Obama right at the stage when he was leaving the White House to, to take over and, and build the campaign, he said to the president, you know, we can't rerun 2008. And the president sort of was seemed puzzled and he said well you know we won that election and he said yes i know but you 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 can't do what you did in 2008 now part of that was simply the country had moved the president had a record um the the, the nuts and bolts of technology had changed so there was a lot that they had to do differently but they knew that they could not try to run you know an inspirational campaign that there was there was dissatisfaction with the president his approval ratings were below 50 percent there were even dem a lot of Democrats who were disappointed in him, uh, and so they knew they had to do two things. They had to find a, a message that, that moved it away from being simply a referendum on his stewardship of the economy, uh, and they had to try to disqualify Mitt Romney in whatever way they could from being seen as more credible uh, as an economic steward uh, of the economy. And the third thing they had to do was build a bigger and more sophisticated get-out-the-vote operation. They knew they weren't going to get the, the same percentage in 2012 that they got in 2008, so it made finding and getting every possible voter to the polls even more important. And, of course, one of the, the other aspects of it was the degree to which Romney was such a bad candidate and ran a, a, a kind of lackluster campaign, essentially. Well, you know, he's not a natural candidate. Uh, he can be awkward on the campaign trail, and we saw that. Um, I would say that, you know, that, that, you know, when people win campaigns, they are imbued with, you know, with genius, and when people lose campaigns, they are criticized as being, you know, kind of dunces. 
Uh, it's always, you know, it's always somewhere in between that. Uh, the, the Romney campaign did some very, you know, effective things, particularly in the nomination battle. I mean, they won every important battle that they had to win in that fight. And so, uh, and they had good people in there. Uh, but they, they, they were at several disadvantages. For one, they did not figure out a way to humanize Mitt Romney. I mean, Mitt Romney had a story to tell about himself that we saw only occasional glimpses of that would have perhaps made him more accessible to voters than he turned out to be. So that was one failing on their part. Um, a second was they simply misjudged what this electorate was going to look like on Election Day. Uh, they thought that, that it was going to be a, an electorate that was more favorable to Governor Romney than it turned out. Now, now you know, was that wishful thinking? To some extent it was, because they, they were, in essence, ignoring uh, or disbelieving all of the trends that you could see, both in the changing demographics of the country and therefore the, the shape of the electorate, um, but also in, in what almost all of the public polls were showing, which was that, that the president had an advantage, not a huge advantage, but that he had an advantage. And I think that they just thought that this was a closer race than it actually was. And finally, what does this tell us then as we look back at, at this election? What does it tell us about the way the country has changed? And what does it portend for the upcoming midterms and for the next presidential cycle? Well, I think it tells us a couple of things. One is that this red-blue divide is real and not going away anytime soon, or it certainly doesn't feel like it is. Uh, that, you know, that, 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 is, that is what now shapes our politics. It shapes the political debates. And to some extent, you know, Jeff, it's the reason why um, 2012 did not seem to change that much. I mean, we, we had this election. The president won. He won uh, by a bigger popular margin than some people thought he would, and certainly a much bigger electoral college margin. And yet we slipped back very quickly into the, the old divisions and the paralysis here in Washington, uh, the gridlock and the, and the polarization. Uh, and it just feels as though that's going to continue for some time. We just we just have two Americas that have different views of the world, and election by election, they they always think that they can you know get this resolved decisively in their favor, uh, but it doesn't feel like that's the case. So that's one thing. And there are just a lot of elements of the nuts and bolts of campaigning that we saw in this election that we're going to see more of in, in 2016. One of the most remarkable things, let me just close by this, is you know you have a, on the cover of Collision 2012 many of the players that were critical in this 2012 election, but it is always remarkable to see Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich still part of that <laughs> after 25-plus years. <laughs> yes, they never seem to go away, do they? Uh, I think this may be the last time we'll see uh, Newt Gingrich active in a campaign, but uh, but it, it certainly looks like we're going to see Bill Clinton around in 2016 along with his wife. Indeed. Collision 2012 is the book. Dan Balls of the Washington Post, its author. Dan, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you. I appreciate your giving me the time. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.